0: Today on This Week Health. You can get yourself into sticky situations when you have thousands of apps internally that you're trying to support and maintain. But one of the use cases that is so important, not just in pediatrics, but just in disease management in general is the concept of a disease action plan.
1: Welcome to This Week Health community. This is Town Hall, a show hosted by leaders on the front lines with interviews of people making things happen in healthcare with technology. My name is Bill Russell, the creator of This Week Health, a set of channels designed to amplify great thinking to propel healthcare forward. We want to thank our show sponsors, Olive, Rubrik, Trellix, Hillrom, Medigate, and F5 in partnership with Sirius Healthcare for investing in our mission to develop the next generation of health leaders. Now, on to our show.
2: Hello, and welcome to another episode of This Week in Health IT. I'm Jake Lancaster, a internal medicine physician and the chief medical information officer for Baptist Memorial Healthcare. And today, I have Peter Hong, who is a clinical informatics fellow, as well as a pediatric hospitalist fellow at Boston Children's. Peter, welcome to the program.
0: Thanks, Jake. It's so really nice to be here.
2: Can you tell the audience just a, a little bit about your background and, and what you're doing?
0: I am the son of a veterinarian and born in Florida, three younger brothers, and with all the animals and other human-type animals around the house, I was almost destined to become a pediatrician. (laughs) And so, yeah, I really uh, like the philosophy of preventive medicine and the ideology behind ounce of prevention, preventing a pound of cure. And I think when I got to finally experience pediatric residency, I was really encumbered by a lot of the processes. A lot of which I am sure I'm preaching to the choir here, but a lot of which involved information technology and different processes that, that touched upon our clinical information systems. And so I was trying to figure out what more people were doing in this space and found that such a thing as clinical informatics fellowships existed around the country and found my way from pediatric residency initially in Dallas, Texas, and now finishing my third year of training at Boston and Massachusetts.
2: Well, that's great. Thank you again for agreeing to come on the program. I think what we wanted to talk about today was some of the work that you're doing with internal app development. Now, a lot of the places I've worked at, you know, that were outside of maybe an academic medical center didn't have a lot of internal app development capabilities. Most of what we would take on would be third-party vendors, or we would have some, some capabilities of internal development around our EHR. But when you're talking about app development. Can you just explain a little bit of what you're, what you're doing and what your experience has been?
0: Yeah, I think one thing that really attracted me to this program here, there was a strong culture for many decades, really around finding the best either process or the best software or um, sometimes vendor to help meet the needs uh, of our institution, of our, the workflows of our clinicians. And one of the things, and culturally, generally, if we couldn't find that in the public space, or there was no vendor working on that, then that MBCH wouldn't necessarily hesitate to just make it themselves. And so I thought that was pretty cool. Of course, you, know, you can get yourself into sticky situations when you have thousands of apps internally that you're trying to support and maintain. But one of the use cases that is so important, not just in pediatrics, but just in disease management in general is the concept of a disease action plan. So if you have asthma or diabetes or hypertension or um, congestive heart failure, that does not just describe a specific state that you're in at any along your entire life. You can have different flare-ups of your chronic disease, and, and the disease action plan should uh, be kind of part educational tool, part clinical tool to help patients understand based on their symptoms, based on some signs that the physicians can help them to interpret at home to empower themselves to take care of themselves, and so. A lot of people were kind of doing these by hand in the different uh, divisions or the different groups clinically at Boston Children's. And we thought, could we give our providers a little bit of a tool, so a framework for them to be able to design the plans themselves without having to do a lot of coding themselves or a lot of uh, reinventing the wheel or trying to bootleg different productivity softwares to all essentially do the same thing that everyone else is doing.
2: Okay. So do you have a dedicated team to this app development or, or is it really scattered? Like you were saying across every department has their own coders.
0: Yeah, that's right. And so we do have a team and I, I came onto the team midway through fellowship. I, I think the project charter for this was signed maybe in 2018 and I started fellowship in 2019. I, I think that group saw that, that type of need, that there were a lot of person hours being poured into Doing this kind of work ad hoc. And so, we presented this to our, our formal governance process for funding of IT resources. Our, that's our development team, our project management team. If we're going to integrate this into our electronic health record, our interfaces team, and our clinical applications, that, so we can serve like a web service face up to the clinician in, in a seamless experience within their electronic health record workflow. And so this group got together, tried to figure out their project scope. And (laughs) uh, as you can imagine, there's a lot of great minds in healthcare, not a lot of abundant dollars like there might be in uh, industry or in the tech sphere for being able to pour into research and development of um, applications. And so I think with, with at least the key stakeholders involved launched. So I came on in 2019 when they were pretty much done with a lot of the main coding. So they had a minimum viable product. And kind of testing out, doing all the brush testing and regression testing with a little bit of iterative changes and had some user acceptance testing. Um, And I can speak a little bit more of whatever you think would be helpful for the group. But we ultimately ended up launching the app in late 2020.
2: You said launching the app, is this an iOS, Android app, or is this more Uh, Firebase? Go ahead.
0: No, no, this is completely internal and not mobile. It is a JavaScript app that is launched through the web through uh, a browser experience that is embedded into our electronic health records.
2: Okay. And within your team, what sort of capabilities do you have as far as skill sets go? Is it mainly going to be Java-based or or do you all have the ability for developing, I guess, other types of apps, you know, mobile apps, Mm -hmm. um, fire-based apps, et cetera?
0: Yeah, I think across the enterprise, you can imagine just like people are doing great work clinically. There are a lot of people with different software development skills, whether that's Languages themselves or their range of their back end and front end skill set. And this particular group, I think, was just one small part of the Boston Children's Enterprise. And, and I should mention that I'm not speaking on behalf of Boston <laughs> Children's formally, but just about my experiences personally. We have, for example, an innovation group called the Innovation Development Healthcare Accelerator, something like that IDHA, that has multiple arms dedicated toward research and development. Teams who are proficient in you name the software language. I think doing a lot of work. I'll give an app, for example, Circulation, which I think was maybe bought out by Uber Health, if I remember correctly, working on transportation within healthcare. And uh, I'm not sure what language that was coded in, but I'm sure they uh, had sufficient power and sufficient scope to be able to have a functional app that they were able to spin out into a public company. And then I think in the not in the information services department and like clinical applications group itself. There's people working more directly with Cerner, our core electronic health record vendor product, or one, one of them, including some modules from Epic, but they're, they're using the specific languages that help them to understand how to work um, in Cerner or in Epic accordingly. And then, you know, I think the sky's the limit, but I think one thing that you mentioned earlier on the call is you don't really often see software developers and in, in, inside clinical and healthcare teams. So I think part of the reason why this construct or language, I say, or framework was chosen was mostly because of the expertise of the the people who are on staff. And I'm sure if they, you know, were more proficient with Python or that that environment of tools, then that very well could have. Been a reason for choosing that. And maybe JavaScripts are fairly commonly available language sure. and has information that people can research quickly and hopefully a wide community that we can recruit people into. but you know a lot of people, especially particularly in the Boston area once they get proficient at certain languages, have many other opportunities for uh, software development outside of healthcare per se.
2: You alluded to this earlier when you're talking about how apps were maybe previously developed in individual departments, but in my experience, at another academic center, we, we had a, a similar issue where there was some independent app development that would occur, and we'd have these legacy apps. And then the physician or whoever uh, made the app would, would leave the organization. And then all of a sudden, you had to pick up this, mm-hmm. this code that nobody knew about and tried to maintain it over time. How is your group looking at making sure that they can maintain and, and keep up with, with these apps once they're out there?
0: Yeah. Oh man. Gosh, <laughs> we had the answer to that. I think we would be all set. We wouldn't need to look outside for uh, any vendor softwares. I-, I think we we had a similar experience to that, and I'm sure uh, we're very much not alone in some of our applications being written by specialists with really deep domain knowledge in certain things that necessarily weren't a easily fungible skill set. And uh, I think somewhat fortunately. I think a lot of people are working in this space, and the a lot of the different vendors and, and companies globally. So sometimes we have fortunately been in a situation where something starts to not work so much, and it's we're at the point where it's harder and harder to keep putting patchwork onto an application when everything else around it is evolving rapidly. And at some point, with advocacy efforts or more research and I think publicity around the importance of, you know, some of the different functionality in the electronic health record, particularly in, in pediatric needs, different vendors are catching up and able to provide some of that software. So we don't necessarily need to then go to redesign those applications from the ground up. And there seem to be ways that we can more seamlessly integrate that either from a vendor or a uh, company that works very closely with some of the vendors that we work with.
2: Okay. Let's shift gears. Can you tell us a little bit about your, your intake process for, for new projects that somebody wants to get off the ground?
0: I wish I had a crystal clear map that I could paint, but there are just at a really high level, there's you know a, a executive governance structures. There's it governance teams that then report up to the executive governance for projects that include things like real estate acquisitions or opening up of clinics in different areas or different programs. And so I think there's any clinician, any person can request the support of an executive sponsor or at some point in the chain of command, you need the approval and have to have run by your thought for a a plan by someone. And if they think that it's a a reasonable thing to bring to this council, then we can kind of present your evidence what you think the return on investment for that will be whether that's financial or whether that's safety and quality which are a little bit more difficult to measure the impact of and then what kind of resources you would need and what kind of impact that would have whether that's mostly for your division or a small group or whether that might have you know wider ranging implications for safety or for financial return across the enterprise and so if if it seems to make sense and this kind of goes through iterative processes of review by groups to see if that if it makes sense. Uh, X project makes more sense than compared to Y project since we're uh, resource constrained. Uh, we're talking to a fellowship audience. I guess the project management triple scope of a triple constraint of you know either budget and resources or time and uh, your budget resources and time is is that what I'm thinking of? I mean, I've Personal. heard it different
2: ways. Yeah, I mean you can. Yeah, do- yeah. It can be there fast, good, and cheap. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. can't have them all at the same time. <laughs> I think it's what you're referring to. Yeah, yeah
0: that's right. <laughs> yeah. So quality, um, yeah, exactly.
2: speed, and then cost, you know, I think it's what you're alluding to. Yeah, um, exactly. But I would imagine first, if you have a new need, I guess, for if somebody has a, a need and they would come to this group, you would evaluate externally first to see if it already exists elsewhere. Before trying to build it yourselves, and trying then, I guess determining one is there a need for it at the organization. Two, does it exist, you know, within our EHR or through a third-party vendor, and then three, do we have the the expertise internally that, to build it if it doesn't exist somewhere else?
0: I think that's exactly right. I would be so curious of all the requests that are just yeah, submitted or just thought about in the, across the institution and not and never submitted. How many of those would be reconciled with just education on the things that we already have, or education on um, how to use the things that we already have better, or just an introduction to a creative way to use a tool that we already have that a person may not know about? (laughs) I'm I'm curious, in in that same evaluation prior to you running it by your sponsor to bring up to this governance chain, how how well we're doing across an enterprise at, at sharing the secrets, or not the secrets, but the best practices that you learn on how to deliver care well. But yeah, I think that's exactly right. If if you do a, a quick market scan of what's available and you see that the only vendor doing this is selling the product at a way too exorbitant of a price, maybe you can try to make a case for doing it yourself. Although if you imagine if a vendor's already have, have a mature product out there that there are gonna be other people who might be following or that it's gonna be really difficult to um, justify over the longitudinal view of you making your own internal thing.
2: Yeah, so I would imagine whatever does end up coming to your group would, would be a fairly niche use case. Can you just share a few of the things that you've been working on?
0: Yeah, so actually, I wish I could speak more to all the different apps that are going across the enterprise. And I'll say just looking back historically on some of the functionality that wasn't quite up to snuff. And it's not to say that it didn't exist on the market, but may not have been attached to the The suite of software products that we are using at any given time, but charge capture and billing has been historically a really thorny pain in the side of many clinicians and healthcare providers. We, at some point in our institutional history, found that our, our vendor product just wasn't delivering. You've heard stories of other organizations losing out on significant amount of uh, revenue just because of inability to adequately document and bill and charge for the services and, and products that they were delivering. And so we have a custom application for that, things like surgical scheduling. And, and it's, it's kind of funny because when I talk about these things, they sound like really core functionality for healthcare <laughs> exactly enterprise. what run. I was thinking. Yeah. <laughs> and so when you talk about really delving into these niche areas, there's you know so much room to disruptively innovate in those spaces, but in terms of the impact across, you know, getting your maximum juice out of your squeeze, it, it really is this processes that people are doing day in and day out, like people are billing for things, people are admitting people to the hospital, they're doing procedures and if the processes there aren't, they don't have a good user experience or the human factors are, are so bad that people are doing the wrong thing consistently. I think those have been historically, at least identified as the, the highest need areas. I think vendors are catching up. So then we're going to start to see, and we are, have already seen a lot of work into more niche things like smart on fire apps, where you can calculate a, in the pediatric space. I don't know how relevant this will be to our adult medicine listeners, calculating Billy Rubin and matching that against the nomogram for newborns on a, what is a dangerous level for Billy Rubin. And these kind of things that take a lot of um, cognitive energy and time, but computers can do really well.
2: And so what level of involvement do you have with the app development? Are you writing the code yourself or are you kind of guiding mm. the, the programmers?
0: Thankfully, I'm not writing the code myself. That might have disastrous consequences, especially I think in the, in the fellow role. It's interesting. We tend to have more transitory presence in an institution. It's not necessarily a guarantee that we'll be here in two or three years. And when app issues may present themselves down the line, I think just from a wisdom or street smart standpoint, it may be better to keep people around who know the institution, know all the different apps or the processes that your app will touch and be affected by when changes to your code are needed. And I think that in itself, on top of the actual software development, coding expertise per se, takes a lot of kind of institutional memory and time to be able to develop. I think the role that I played that was, I I wished that I could have been earlier and more agile and to have more touch points in the process is to just help with the human factors, help with the, the clinical side of the end user experience, thinking about Like when when you design an app, wanting a box in a different place or wanting the ability to bold something or underline something, those seem like really trivial things to um, us in this day and age when there's really a lot of um, talent and effort poured into software development design. But when you have kind of more limited teams and you have therefore also constraints on your time and your ability to have a fully featured application, just thinking about which of the features are, are really critical and may actually impact quality and safety. I think it's hard for the IT teams to necessarily understand that. I think this is why agile processes may be being adopted more so than a waterfall type process. When I came in, more toward the end of the project after a lot of the development have been done is unless it's a really game stopping show stopping issue in the code at that point it's really hard to get a change uh, made because maybe they've poured 100 hours into into that app and changing something like the size size of the box might not be as trivial as you think it is when it exists in multiple different places i'm I'm sure someone with actual development expertise is, is laughing at that comment because it actually is trivial, but hopefully people can understand what I'm getting at. Just as a tangible example, you may not think that deciding what data your, your field can store, for instance, like the, the Unicode, or you know, can your field actually capture and store special characters like other language characters? We realized at some point during the project that we couldn't code, we, the end users input Spanish characters. So the difference between some, some words is trivial, but maybe like no and año um, to mean, I don't know what kind of PG level of audience we're talking, but you know a little squiggle on top of the end can mean the difference between a year and anus. So may, maybe in medicine, that might have somewhat of a uh, impact on how someone interprets instructions for their clinical care. And so you can imagine if you could have put that in the project requirements much earlier than different decisions would have been made or just like an entirely different approach toward software development might have been taken.
2: Those are good points. With any of these apps and with any of these projects, you know, a large amount of, of maintenance and, and time is going to have to be you know, put in to, to making sure that you can keep up with the requests that will come in from users for you know adding different languages, things of that nature. And you got to have the internal skill set available to, to handle those requests, which may be difficult for a place that's maybe outside of an academic medical center to do, I would expect.
0: That's exactly right. Yeah. I would be so interested. We spoke a little bit about the preventive medicine, like nature of pediatrics, but also in informatics, how much of our processes, time and resources could we potentiate by intervening a little bit earlier and and, uh, more integrating the clinical experts or domain subject matter experts with the IT teams to try to multiply what they do instead of rushing to get a minimum viable product out there that ends up taking a lot more time in the back end to retweak and to fill with features that probably the clinician would have wanted in the very beginning if there were a little bit more of an iterative agile process for letting those be known.
2: Well, Peter, it's been great chatting with you. I think you've provided a lot of valuable insight. Any final words for the audience before we let you go?
0: I think on each side of the aisle is the clinicians who are busy, the developers who are busy and have worked on many projects where there's just a lot of inefficiency in the process on getting the clinical teams to be able to express what's important. And then the IT and data teams to be able to tell the clinical folks how to actually translate their request into database structure and SQL queries and joins to figure out how a data set is going to be formatted. I've encountered so many lovely people on both sides of the aisle who just want to learn. And I'll just encourage folks to not feel worried about engaging people. I think during the pandemic, it's been... Simultaneously challenging to have those kind of touch bases with folks and to build rapport with teams that kind of facilitate the kind of energy and collegiality to move projects forward. But I think at the same time, I've met so many different people I probably wouldn't have met otherwise, just because you can hop on a Zoom for like five or ten minutes and save yourself writing a fifteen-minute two-page email on exactly what you need and why you're frustrated with the product.
2: Yeah, all very good points. Well, well, thanks again for for joining the program, and uh, wish you well with your career post fellowship.
1: I love this show. I love hearing from people on the front lines. I love hearing from these leaders. And we want to thank our hosts who continue to support the community by developing this great content. We also want to thank our show sponsors, Olive, Rubric, Trellix, Hillrom, Medigate, and F5 in partnership with Sirius Healthcare for investing in our mission to develop the next generation of health leaders. If you want to support the show, let someone know about our shows. They all start with This Week Health, and you can find them wherever you listen to podcasts. Keynote, Town Hall, Newsroom, and Academy. Check them out today, and thanks for listening. That's all for now.